Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to Living Better in San Diego. I'm Vicki Pepper. According to BlackDoctor.org, 75% of African Americans are lactose intolerant, as are most people of color. But non-dairy options frequently come with a higher price. In December, Starbucks announced that it was dropping the upcharge for dairy alternatives in the UK. That was less than three weeks after a small nonprofit and non-dairy advocate Switch for Good issued an attention-getting mock press release and video saying that Starbucks was dropping its non-dairy beverage upcharge. Was that a coincidence? Maybe, but now Switch for Good is encouraging Starbucks to do the same with its 9,000 stores in the U.S. On the line to tell us more is Dotsie Bosch, American cyclist, Olympic silver medalist, and executive director for Switch for Good. Thank you for joining me. Hey, hey. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Dotsie, start by giving us an overview of Switch for Good. How and why did you start this organization? Oh, gosh. Well, honestly, it was born out of frustration. <laughs> um, I, as you mentioned, I'm an uh, Olympic athlete and some people, many people in the, in the United States don't know that the United States Olympic Committee's title sponsor is the dairy industry. So mm-hmm. as I was traversing my last few years training at the training centers around the state, specifically mostly Colorado Springs, and just having dairy and every food group that comes out of the dairy category, cottage cheese, whey, milk, yogurt being pushed on me, I was feeling sad and frustrated. I knew how bad dairy is for so many different reasons and was not using it as any kind of fuel for my training. And so post Olympics, I was sitting on the couch watching the 2018 winter Olympic trials. And I thought, and there's a bunch of dairy commercials, I might add. So I thought somebody's got to say something. Somebody has to do something. Somebody needs to speak up. Somebody needs to tell the truth. And my husband said, well, maybe that could be you. Uh, Uh So, like fast forward and switch for good was born in the beginning of 2019 after 2018 that that someone was me and I got together a group of seven Olympians from four different countries and we put on a PSA on the closing ceremonies on NBC of that winter Olympic Games standing up saying this is a lie and we don't need dairy to win medals and be great athletes and so it was a very disruptive campaign just like our Starbucks campaign <laughs> actually ended up getting it kicked off of NBC. We ran in a few markets and then they got it kicked off. So follow the dollar every time. But those were our humble beginnings. And uh, we started as an organization in 2019 and we're still disrupting. We do other things that aren't quite as disruptive, (laughs) educational campaigns and policy change and whatnot. But yeah, those are our beginnings. Tell us a bit about your personal journey with becoming vegan. Wow, gosh, I was 
35 years old when I switched over to mostly plants and not eating animals. And I grew up in Kentucky. So I grew up where really there wasn't a meal that I didn't have an animal or or an animal product on my plate. Uh, I grew up with chicken and biscuits and Kentucky fried chicken and mean potatoes and all the fixings. And I never for a moment thought about the implications of what I was doing, what I was consuming. And at 35, I started, I guess I can only describe it as going down the rabbit hole. I wanted to know more about where my food came from. I wanted to understand what happened behind closed doors. I wanted to learn. And part of it was because I was an athlete and I I wanted to know more about my food. And some of it was just that I grew up deeply loving animals and I had a lot of animals and I'd always felt more connected to animals than I really did to humans for a long period of time in my life when I was struggling. So those two reasons led me down a, a rabbit hole, like I said, and I just learned the truth. I learned, I learned what, what happens and how animals are used and abused to make it to our plate in some of the most horrifying ways I couldn't have even have imagined. To be honest, when I first saw a lot of what I saw, when I read and learned, I thought, God, this can't be true. The government is here to protect and serve us, and that has to include our food system and our agriculture system. And so this can't be right. This must be a film from another country, you know, snotty American. But then I learned, no, it's, it's very much in my backyard. Uh, that is what happened. Is what's happening. And I just, I don't know. I just, I just had this soul shift. Is all the only way I can describe it. Where I just said, I, I don't want to be a part of that. So crap. I'm 35. I'm a couple of ways years away from the Olympic Games. I no longer want to partake. So, wow, what am I going to eat? <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was a bit shocking to, to my coaches and, and, and whatnot. But I don't know if anybody's seen the, the Game Changers documentary, which is on Netflix. My new eating regimen actually turned me into what I can only describe as a machine. I was recovering faster and getting stronger and more muscle, more endurance, more speed. And I stood on the podium at 39 and a half, the oldest Olympian in history in my discipline <laughs> on, uh, on plants, fueled by plants. <laughs> Tell us about some of the main initiatives and goals that you have for Switch for Good. Yeah, well, we work from a behavior change, culture change standpoint, and we also work from a policy change standpoint and from a corporate systemic standpoint. So the way we see it, three different chasms in the in the U.S. and mostly worldwide, but we're fairly U.S.-based of humans that are making decisions on what we eat, right? And so those are corporations. Starbucks is a great example, or they are policy, right, within our federal government and the mandates that they have around animal-based foods and especially dairy and feeding them to children in schools. They have to take a milk in public schools across the United States. And then, of course, the actual us, the people that make our decisions on what we want on our plate. So those are the three main areas where Switch for Good shows up, if you will. So the initiatives policy change wise are right now we're working alongside of the Center for Humane Economy on getting soy milk as an alternative into public schools, reimbursed, completely reimbursed because cow's milk is reimbursed by the federal government. Every time a child takes the cow's milk and they're actually mandated to take a cow's milk, 30% of which is wasted and thrown away untouched, which is an enormous waste of money. Obviously, it's it's about 300 million being thrown away in cow's milk every year because the kids don't want it. 
So bringing soy milk in so that they have a choice, they have an option, they have something else for children of color, they have something that doesn't make them sick because of 75 to 95% of people of color are lactose intolerant. And it's, it sounds like, I think the dairy industry has made it seem like a bit of a benign term, but it's not. It can be very serious. Everything from exacerbating asthma to wheezing to having a hard time breathing to stomach aches and cramping and diarrhea, constipation. I mean, the list is fairly long. And obviously, if you're feeling that sickness, it's certainly interrupting uh, your mm. learning. And so we want there to be an option. But we do disruptive campaigns like the Starbucks campaign, like you mentioned, that are, you know, really I would title as kind of brandalism, brand jacking. <laughs> uh, so, you know, just shining a light on a truth, on something that we feel is unfair, which in this case is Starbucks upcharging to a great degree uh, for all of their plant milk options when they are offering cow's milk cream for free. As we know, that just sits on the counter next to the sugars and, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of gallons of cream that is free every year. And so it's an issue that if you just, let's say you just go to Starbucks and say, hey, get rid of your plant milk charge. They're going to probably not even care or answer. And so the angle that we took, we, we partnered with the Yes Men, which people don't know who they are. They have a great documentary in 2003, but they are kind of the, the kings and queens of brandalism. And you pick something that you feel is wrong, that is unfair in society or within a corporation or within an organization, and that you want to make right. And you shine a light on something very positive that that corporation could do to make a change that would matter to people instead of saying they're terrible, right? Because that's probably not going to be received very well by them or the public that's watching. Mm. So we shined a light on something very positive that they could do and said they did it. And then, of course, Starbucks has to say, oh, that wasn't really us. <laughs> uh, and that didn't happen. And they know that it should. And so anyway, that was the campaign that you're speaking of that we launched on December 9th. And there was quite a bit of discussion and media and interest around it versus if we'd done it the other way, I guarantee you there would have been zero. Zero conversation. I mean, the point is mm. to get the public involved and the public talking about it, the public looking at the facts and going, yeah, wait a minute, this isn't fair. This isn't okay. This isn't right. So that was that. This is very sneaky of you. <laughs> well, we learned from the Yes Men. They hung out with us on all the meetings every week and guided us, and they were super fun to work with. So I don't know. We're trying to figure out how we can do this again soon in some other in some other realm because we just had such a good time learning from them and, and doing things in just a slightly edgy fashion, which is really, like I mentioned, our root is edgy and disruptive. So <laughs> we tend to lean into liking that tactic. I'm speaking with Dotsie Bosch, American cyclist, Olympic silver medalist, and executive director for Switch for Good. Tell us about some of the other things you've accomplished with Switch for Good. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, the commercial that we put on NBC was a big splash. And so we did another series of those that ran supposed to be in 2020 Olympics. But as we know, they didn't happen until 2021. But all of the initiatives that we have run, we've had conferences and we're doing some work with the UN and the IOC and, and a variety of different. We've been able to, in the last two years, reach almost 400 million people. And we've engaged with about 6 million people and had a conversion rate of about a million people. So it's important to us to really know how we're touching people and how many people we are touching. That's a really important 
aspect to our work from our funders, right? Because we're a nonprofit that we are making impactful change. And that at the end of the day, people and, and corporations and policies are changing as a result of our work. And tell us about some of the other issues with this upcharge for non-dairy beverages. Well, the work with this really as an organization started in 2019 when I went to speak to the Dietary Guidelines of America in Washington, D.C., the dietary guidelines change or updated, I should say, every five years, our government updates them. So some of us went to speak to that committee in 2019. They were getting ready to release the new dietary guidelines for Americans in 2020. And a big issue was surrounding dairy milk and that there wasn't an option in the dietary guidelines for any people, but especially people of color who are widely, like I mentioned, 75 to almost 98% of them uh, are lactose intolerant, which means they can't digest the sugar in cow's milk. And there's lactose is a sugar in all mammals' breast milk. So we have an enzyme called lactase that when we're born, to be able to digest our mother's breast milk, it naturally, over time, turns off that lactase enzyme, as other enzymes do in our body, because our body is is very smart and it only uses and saves what it needs. So that lactase enzyme is designed to turn off around the age of four, five, six, depending on the culture and, and, and breastfeeding ages. So being lactose intolerant is actually completely normal. That enzyme is supposed to turn off and it, it does. But in cultures that have been milking mammals, other mammals, the, the longest, like myself, I am not lactose intolerant. I'm what is called lactase persistent. That lactase enzyme stayed on and it's a genetic mutation. Like I have a genetic mutation. So really, we're the weird ones that have this, this ability to continue to digest mother's milk, mammals' mother milk into adulthood because that doesn't really make any sense when you just kind of just think about it at straight value. So it is something that has been a passion since 2019, really looking at the problem being a white majority is making decisions for minority groups on something that is completely unhealthy for them and can make them sick if they are lactose intolerant. I'm not saying all people of color are, right? It's like I said, 75 to about 98%. But when a white majority is making those decisions, for a minority, that is a form of dietary racism. Mm. So that is the work that we have been doing that is certainly surrounding the work that we did with Starbucks and the work that we're doing trying to get soy milk into public schools so that children have a choice <laughs> in the matter. And it's a discussion that seems to be tough to have, but it's a problem. And there's a lot of people talking about dairy from a health perspective, from an environmental perspective, how much pressure it puts on the planet, and from an animal perspective, of course, right? It's just horrifying what goes on behind closed doors, the dairy industry, but it's also a social justice and a racial justice issue. When you went forward with this Justice Cup campaign in December, what was the reaction from media and the general public? It was mostly positive. I mean, it wasn't all positive, of course. Some of the big media corporations got duped. I mean, you know, they, mm. Bloomberg and Business Insider, you know, they weren't that thrilled about it. But I think they had a, a respect for it in how we did it. I think they definitely thought, thought it was an interesting way to get the issue out and talked about. 
But there were a lot of, we certainly had a lot of really positive conversations with the media about digging behind closed doors and really wanting to understand what's going on and why this is an important issue and why we're talking about it just like I am with you. So that was promising to see that take place. And what was the reaction from Starbucks? Did you hear from them directly? No, we never heard from them directly. On that day, December night, their PR people were fervently calling media going, this isn't us. We didn't drop the plant milk. Uh, and then the following day, a fair amount of activists called Starbucks to say, you know, why haven't you dropped the plant milk charge? And, and you know, they had like a form statement they were reading that it cost them more, which Okay. But again, <laughs> they're giving out free cream so they can do what is right. And it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And they charge 70 to 80 cents per latte of charges if you want to plant milk. They charge the exact amount for a small, a tall versus a vente. So that shows you right there. It's not the exact math. Right. Mm. And we have looked deeply into it. And so they make their own coconut milk. They make their own almond milk and make their own soy milk. Oat milk is the only one that they purchase from the company uh, Oatly. So in making all of their own or three of the four plant-based milks, we've looked pretty deep into the math and maybe it costs them nine to 10 to 11 cents more per tall and they're charging people 70 to 80% more. Mm. So it, they can certainly do what's right. And we did an open letter to the CEO and the, the head of diversity and inclusion at Starbucks in the Seattle Times that is on our website. And we talked just straight to the truth about this. That it's, if they pose all the time as a very diverse organization and very inclusive, and they've just released that they're going to spend over a billion dollars over the next so many years uh, diversifying the companies that they are going to be making purchases from, meaning more com- from more companies who are owned and run by people of color, yet they are charging people of color more for something that doesn't make them sick. So it leaves them, it leaves many of us with no other option. I mean, who wants to buy a latte that's 80 cents more? I mean, it, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, it's ludicrous. I'm speaking with Dotsie Bosch, American cyclist, Olympic silver medalist, and executive director for Switch for Good. Were you surprised to see Starbucks make this change in the UK just a few weeks after your campaign? Yes, surprised and delighted. Do you think they'll stop there? No, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that we will get this done in the United States. So I have a lot of good feelings that it's going to happen. It's and, and as you mentioned in the opening, there's about 9,000 stores in the U.S. and there's about 1,100 in the U.K. So it's a little bit bigger of a lift, but I think they're going to do the right thing at the end of the day. I think we're going to get it done. What tips do you have for someone who wants to transition to a plant-based diet? Uh, well, come visit us at switchforgood.org. We <laughs> all the routes, all the journeys, but a couple things that I think are most important. First of all, don't think of it as a diet. We call it a plant-based diet or a vegan diet, but it is the opposite of that. And if you go into it thinking, I'm going to try this new diet, we know from research that 99% of diets fail within a couple of months, 90 days, less than 90 days. So don't think of it as that because it is anything but, right? Think of it as a journey to new plants and to optimum health, and then you'll start wanting to discover what your plate might be filled with. 
instead of restricting what your plate might be filled with. So don't think of it as a diet. Also, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress because so many times I see people just trying to do it perfect, right? Trying to fill their plants with, with plates and take the animals off. And again, they're thinking of it more like a diet, so they're trying to do it perfectly. But just have fun with it and just progress. Maybe you do it one meal a day. Maybe you do it one day a week. You can start slow. You can start fast. Like Just have fun with it. When you have fun with something and you start discovering and exploring, then that's when it's going to stick. And that's when you're going to feel better and you're going to enjoy all the new flavors that are coming into play that are in plants. So I think those are the two. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm sure you get asked every time someone finds out that you're vegan, especially because you're an athlete. Where do you get your protein? Yes, yes. (laughs) It's my favorite question. And if I had a dime, I'd tell (laughs) you. At the end of the day, protein is made of of amino acids and, and protein is in every living everything. So it's in sweet potatoes and there is even a little bit in broccoli. It's in grains and ancient grains and in beans and seeds and nuts. It's everywhere. So all we have done in this society is created this misnomer that protein is only found in animal flesh. And that's just not true. It's everywhere. It's in every living thing. So really, the animal that you're eating is just the middleman or middle woman. If you think about it, all of the animals that we eat, for the most part in the United States, you know, cows, pigs, chickens, are all vegetarian. They're all eating plants, and then they digest them, and then we eat them and get the nutrients from the plants that they ate. So we could just remove the middleman and go straight to the source. Obviously, those are, especially the pigs and the cows are pretty large animals, and they're getting enough protein as are rhinoceroses and giraffes and elephants and the largest mammals on the planet. So just know that protein isn't isn't everything. It's not just an animal flesh. I've been speaking with Dotsie Bosch, American cyclist, Olympic silver medalist, and executive director for Switch for Good. Can I ask about Paris 2024? Yes. What do you want to know? (laughs) What should we know? We can expect to see you there, right? Oh, definitely not. No, I am almost 50. And no, I will be in the stands, but I I retired after I won my Olympic medal in, in, in 2012. And even though I'm a plant-based diet and I, maybe I can be on the podium at 50, I have just turned all that passion into the nonprofit, as you can hear, as I get very excited about it. So, But 2028 is in my backyard in Los Angeles. So that's going to be exciting. And, and I, I, I probably will be in, in Paris in the stands. So yeah, I'll be cheering. And meanwhile, do you continue bicycling for fun? I do. Yes. Yes. So my husband and I really enjoy doing it together. And you know, it's sunny most of the time here in Southern Cal. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, do, we, we do it quite a bit. Not anywhere near the level or amount of hours before. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but yes. So. And then what do you think is next for Switch for Good? Well, a lot of the work that I was speaking about is our active work. So I, I wasn't speaking too much about the, the last couple of years, but our active work right now. So active in making these policy changes, the government active in making changes in corporations and in behavior change. So yeah, come visit us on the site. You can see kind of all we have going on. And we also have a, a really fun and popular podcast that's just aptly titled Switch for Good. So it's Switch the number four good. And that might be a fun place. I didn't think to even mention it, but that could be a really fun place for 
people to learn how to make the steps towards going plant-based. We have all sorts of physicians and dietitians and athletes and prominent folks and really awesome, fun, I think, noteworthy discussions on that. So, so maybe if those listeners out there that love podcasts, that might be a place for them to, to start. And that podcast, Switch for Good, Switch the Number for Good, is on the Odyssey app. Give us your website again, too. The website is switchforgood.org. So switch the number four good.org. And the podcast is just Switch for Good. And I host it alongside Alexandra Paul, who's a longtime actress. She was on uh, Baywatch and Christine and all the, just a ton of different films. But she eats entirely plant-based and vegan and She's just a, a joy and a love, and we have a we have a great time doing it together. And is there anything else you want us to know? You have done a beautiful job at covering everything and so much more. So I think I think I'm good. We're good. Hopefully the audience is good. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking with us today, and thank you for making a difference in our not just our community but around the world. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you for saying that. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.